Welcome to Eucharist Peace of Christ, everybody. Uh, let's pray together. God, we have come to this place to seek you, to encounter you through songs of praise and lament, through psalms, through small talk, through coffee and tea and bread and wine, or juice and cracker. We come to you young, come to you old, come to you tired, we come to you invigorated. We come to you. Would you receive uh, the sacrifice of our thanksgiving coming to this place to give you thanks. Would you receive that as an offering? And would you meet us here and give each of us what we need to hear from you, what we need to receive from you, so that we might delight in your will and walk in your way. To the glory of your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so I got a question. <clears throat> Public poll time. I've got a hunch, but I'd like to see in a room like this how accurate it is. Would you mind raising your hand if you feel like this is a particularly easy and comfortable time to call yourself a Christian? Just by show of hands, everybody, who feels like it is an easy... Okay, well, this is, one person with their hands, they're like, may I remind... We have running water and uh, plumbing, so, you know, there's like at least one person who feels like, you know, okay, at some level physically, materially, it kind of is an easy time to be a Christian because we get like food and water and shelter. So lots of good things going on. However, the reason that nobody really raised their hand except for one person like halfway up is because there are things that make this a particularly challenging and uncomfortable time to call yourself Christian. Can we just get some people to shout some of those out? Just like you can raise a hand, you can just shout what are some of the reasons why we find this so uncomfortable and challenging in this particular moment? Who's feeling brave? Residential schools. Yeah, the history of the church siding with and being uh, deeply enmeshed in colonization and the violence that that led to across the world in many places, but here in Canada, especially with residential schools. Yeah. Others. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, American evangelicalism. We are very quiet people, Canadian Christians, but we're next to a very loud, loud party. And uh, it's a bit of a party that might be going off the deep end. It's, uh, yeah, so our association, we're so close to people for whom Christian is so tied to a sense of nationality, a sense of uh, potentially ethnic identity, where, where the word Christian is being used constantly in a way that my guess is none of us would use it. Keith, you had your... Other Christians. You could also broaden that to other Christians uh, of pretty much any variety, which we could broaden to other humans, but I don't have to be family with the guy in the A&W line who's honking his horn and being like, come on, let's go. Like once that guy drives off, I'm like, Sheesh, some people are weird and sick. But when those people are a part of the church with you, you're like, oh no, we're weird and sick. 
And then sometimes you look in the mirror and go like, oh no, and I'm also occasionally weird and sick and frustrating. But yes, there are other Christians using that language in other ways that can make that very painful and challenging. A few more. Okay, we're in a very individualistic culture, absolutely. To have a perspective, a belief, a conviction, my God. Like anything that you believe for you is fine as long as you don't believe it enough to just say you believe it. You've got to say, I believe it, and it's just for me, and I might be wrong, and who could, like, you know, like, it's like, I know, it's just, it's your beliefs, but even saying this is what I believe can be a very hard thing in a culture where we're very afraid of stepping on each other's toes because we don't want to hurt each other, which is a good thing, but we also don't really know how to live together anymore, which is a not good thing. Maybe one more. Anybody else got expressions of hatred by the church? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Should we just air all the bad news? Anything else? What's that? It's just one option. Yeah, among many. Sort of individualization has led us off into so many potential directions that worshiping God becomes just one option next to clubs and leagues and television shows and all sorts of other entertainment and or distraction. Okay, so there's a couple of reasons. We didn't even get into, like, the fact that, yeah, like, m modernism, post-enlightenment, like, the, the entire world is kind of set against us, to be honest. Not, like, in a weird, like, this isn't one of those, like, Christian sermons of, like, the world's set against us, we've got to take it back. Not where I'm going. Don't worry. <laughs> I can feel some of you just, like, Ugh. But what, but it is a difficult time to, in a genuine way, seek God. It is a difficult time to say, I am a part of this tradition who is looking for an encounter with God. I belong to this family. I've received something that I want to pass on to those who come after me. It is a very challenging time for that. And yet, despite all those reasons we named, despite associations with Christians who have not used that word well, in spite of association with the church, which has been tied into the best of the society that we inherit, but is also tied into the worst of what we inherit. Despite a time of individualism, with a myriad of options, fighting for our attention every minute of every day, some of you have chosen to push through that big dark cloud, through that void, and to push into it by coming to church and gathering together to look at a table where we believe we are being linked together and pulled together by a source of love that is beyond us and calls to us and pulls us in. And that, just showing up to pray, showing up to church, saying, I am a part of this way, that is a daring thing. It's a bold choice in 2022 to say, I'm going to church, to be a part of this Christian journey, to seek God in spite of all that darkness, in spite of all the pain, and in spite of the many, many credible reasons to pull yourself out, to continue to seek to worship God is a daring act. And one that I think we need to remember, that it is a daring and brave thing to worship God. 
God together. This is such a literal sermon. My sermons used to be so metaphorical, and, and I, well, they, they weren't good, but like they were attempting to be. And now I just want to say, like, it's daring to worship God. Do we remember that? Do we remember that it's a daring thing to worship God? Okay, so there's, we talk a bit about the daring side. Let's move to worship. What does that word even mean? Worship is not a word that we use regularly, although worship is something that we do all the time. The word worship is tied in Old English and Latin to the idea of worth-ship. So something being of worth. And this is what's interesting then, is that you don't need to be a religious person who checks a religious box to worship, because as a human being, you will always choose to give something your worth-ship, to declare that it is the most worthy thing. When you go to family dinner, you're giving that worth. When you watch TV, you're giving that worth. When you eat well or exercise, you're giving that worth. You're choosing in this kind of triangle of existence to put something up higher and to let other things fall lower. Does that make sense? Got in from camping last night. The whole main floor is a mess. That's because our worth ship went to bed at a reasonable hour over cleaning for three hours to try to reset the house. This is what you have to do in all of life, right? You lift some things up, and that means other things go down because we are limited creatures with limited time and attention. So worship is when we all gather together to announce the worthness, <laughs> the worthfulness of something. And we all give it our attention. We all look at the candle. We see these stairs drawing us up. We see these elements. We move together in the service towards this table as an act of communal worship or communal worship. Are we tracking? It's about as abstract as the sermon will get. Okay, maybe a little more. But first, to, to illustrate this, uh, I want to talk about camping last weekend. Because last weekend I was camping, and there was this moment where I realized something about worship that I had not recognized. I was, we had eaten hot dogs and craft dinner with the kids, because we're good parents, and we chopped up the hot dogs into like the little weenies at the end, and I was frying them over the fire, like little tips of hot dogs, just little pieces, and I was frying them, and I was eating them, and they were like, it was like popcorn, like hot dog popcorn, it was delicious. And so I was popping these in, I was thinking, this is such good, this is such good hot dog popcorn, I should save two little bits for the kids, you know, so I put two little bits on the sticks. I thought I'll fry them up when the kids get back from their walk, and then they can enjoy these little hot dog popcorns. So I was sitting there. Meg was at the washroom with the kids. They were out doing that thing. I was waiting for them to come back. I had a precious few minutes to just sit in silence, and I was sitting with my eyes closed, and I heard a little scrap in the forest. I looked over, and I didn't see anything. I went back to sitting with my eyes closed, and then I heard the sound of something on the table, and I looked over, and there was this little chipmunk, and it, like, it saw me, and I saw it, and we were both like, oh, and it was like, ah, and it was, it was frozen, and I was frozen looking at this chipmunk, and the chipmunk was coming towards me, and I was like, this is like a very friendly chipmunk, okay. I guess I'll just see what happens, and so I just paused and kept breathing calmly, and the chipmunk took like another step to me, and another step, but then he went off to the side, and he grabbed onto the hot dog piece on the poker. And the squirrel, a little chipmunk, started to eat the hot dog. And I had this moment of like, I thought that you were vegetarian. Like I didn't, I didn't think that chipmunks ate meat. Maybe they just don't have a lot of opportunities or maybe hot dogs just aren't meat. But the, 
either way, it was shocking. And the chipmunk came up, and this is, I'm gonna do my best chipmunk impression for you all. Chipmunk came up, grabbed the hot dog, very cautiously lifted up, bit on it, <clears throat> and then freaked out. Like it shot back, it twirled around once, it was just like, oh my gosh! And, and I was like, oh my goodness, that hot, has it ever eaten hot dog? Like has that chipmunk ever eaten, did it even know that that kind of salt and fat could coexist at that high a level? Like it was just, it bit it, and it was like all of a sudden the, the chipmunk freaked, and I could just see in its mind, it was like, that's my favorite thing now. And it, it shot back, and then it went right back, and it devoured the first one, devoured, and I was like, this chipmunk is so illustrative of worship, in a sense. All right, hear me out, I know. <laughs> but here's the thing, is that it had its own palate, right? It had a, a, a chipmunk palate. Peanuts, scrap, I don't know what they eat, fruit, you know, all sorts of good stuff. But then it ate something that it had never eaten before. And suddenly what it thought was the highest level of good, in terms of salt and fat, got blasted off by a whole new level of goodness. That is something like what happens as we worship. That in our lives we have a sense of what is good. But then something greater comes along and redefines all of our categories of what is goodness. Is this making sense? When I saw my daughter Clementine and held this beautiful, just like new, fresh baby against my skin, I expanded. My sense of what goodness was expanded in a moment by interacting with this new soul, this new bit of creation. I was like the chip, I held her and I shot back and I twirled in a circle. Like, it, it recategorized everything. So in James chapter one, God is called the source of all goodness. The source of it, like the top of the mountain covered in snow that flows water down. All the water is crisp and clean and good. Of course it is. It comes from the source of goodness. And so anything good that we encounter in life, anything that truly lights us up, that illuminates us, that causes joy to burst in us, grace, humility, life, happiness, when these things emerge in us, they are tied to God, who is the source of all goodness. And for many of you, you'll have a time in your life, you may be able to testify to a sense of connection to the divine that went from one level of goodness to another. As you began to trust in the grace of God, that goodness went even higher. As you began to realize that God actually loved you and liked you, and spent time with you in silence and solitude, your sense of God's goodness was lifted higher and higher. This is the lifting up of worship. This is the encountering of the highest good, which is the living God. And encountering that goodness is different than knowing about that goodness. You can know about goodness, but until you experience that next level of goodness, until you metaphorically bite into the hot dog tip. You won't know how good it is. We can know about God's goodness, but until we need that grace, until we need that lifting of our spirit, 
until we encounter the God who cannot be understood, but can only be encountered, met in an event, in a time, in a moment. It's all theory. It's all theory until we encounter God, and then all that theory is blasted apart by the real presence of a living, good God. There's actually a beautiful section in uh, the book of Job that speaks of this, at the very, very end of the book of Job. Job chapter 42. In Job 42, Job has been speaking to God, telling God all the reasons why God cannot be good, why God ought not to be trusted, how Job understands reality, and God has failed to understand the world that God has made. And then God approaches Job in a whirlwind and begins to ask Job some questions. And the questions that God asks Job reveal the gap in Job's ability to perceive reality and God's ability to perceive reality. That if God is the source of all goodness, if God is the most high, then anything we know is but a small, small subsect of what God has revealed. And so Job answers the Lord. He says, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose is beyond you. You, God, you ask, who is this obscuring counsel, yet lacking knowledge? Then Job says, I have spoken of things which I have not understood, things too wonderful for me to know. Listen and let me speak. You said, God said, I shall put questions to you, and you must answer. And this is the line of Job's that I think captures what we're describing here, that interaction with God. Then Job says, I knew of you then only by report, but now I see you with my own eyes. Therefore, I yield, repenting in dust and ashes. That line just keeps coming back to me. I knew of you then only by report, but now I see you with my own eyes. What does it mean for us to encounter God? What does it mean for us to be daring enough to worship a God who is beyond our understanding? What does it mean for us to come together and seek after that which we could not comprehend? It means something like seeing with our own eyes. Not just encountering God through the report of another, but in a direct way that blows apart all the questions and all the fears and all the doubts 
that have clung to us and stopped us from worshiping God. But one moment of interaction with the living God sets us free from all that clings to us. Is this making any sense? Okay, good. So this is um, same page Sunday, technically. It's kind of our big rally cry. Ah! But it's been like a month of rallying cry. Like, it's Jill's last sermon. Yeah! It's Nina's first sermon. Yeah! And by this weekend, it's like, it's raining. Ah. Which is fine. Which is good. Because I didn't really have any strategy or anything like that this year anyways. There's been years where at the beginning of the year, we're like, this is what we're going to do, and let's go, everybody. And this year, there is no plan. The only strategy that I have to offer us is to seek God, to worship God together, to pray to God together, and to see if that's not enough to become who we're supposed to be. And so I want to invite you to pray, please, in this next couple of seasons. Pray for us as a congregation. Pray for others in this community by name. Pray for yourselves and your households. Pray for our city. To worship, that when we sing, that we actually are worshiping God together, not going through motions, but truly seeking to encounter God as we sing together, whether we know all the songs or don't know all the songs or like the songs or don't like the songs, to shift that internal posture towards seeking. And I want to invite you to pray in one more way, which is to join the prayers that God's people have always prayed. Beginning in October, we're going to be hosting weekly prayer on Wednesdays in this building at 6.30 a.m. and at 9 p.m., which are opposites which hopefully means that there's one of those two that feels to you like, I could do that. At 6.30 a.m., we're going to be praying common prayer, which is a very old, very simple form of prayer. It has no sermon. It has no opinions. There's nothing to debate. You just, sh you just shut up and drop on your knees and tell God you're sorry and then seek him. It's so great. It's so great. If you haven't just shut up and dropped before God on your knees lately, whoo, ah, it's delicious. It's the opposite of social media. It's so great. So if you are seeking God, you're like, I want to seek God with other people, 6.30 a.m., get up a little early, drive here, meet in the sanctuary, let's pray. Also in the evenings, we're going to have Compline, which is singing the psalms, which we'll also chant in morning prayer. The evening is singing and chanting through a couple of psalms. They're very, very simple to learn. I am not a singer, but I'm learning to chant psalms with others. And just singing these psalms that God's people have always sung chanting these words that God's people have always chanted does something to your psyche beyond words. I don't know how to explain it. You don't end up understanding what you're singing. You just pray what people of God have always prayed, and then you find that it starts becoming something in you. And then that service also has a lot of silence. So if you're somebody who would like to lay on a pew for 10 minutes and just decompress from reality, uh, that evening service has a lot of silence as well. So there's the invitation. Let's pray together. Let's worship together. And uh, if Wednesdays is a time where you would do that, it would mean so much to me, but I think also so much to our city and to our community to be praying intentionally. And so I'd really love to invite each and every one of you to think about that. And uh, on the way out, there's little cards that you can take that have the times on them. And that starts October, not next week, but the following. On that note, uh, I'm going to close the sermon out by 
once again chanting a psalm, although I've got some friends this week who have come to Compline or Common Prayer who are going to come and join me. So uh, we're going to be praying through Psalm 95. It's going to be up on the slides as well. You're welcome. Last time I did this, some people started chanting along a bit. You're welcome to feel that out uh, and join if you would like to. But even if you're not chanting it, I invite you to pray this psalm. Two things I want to note in this psalm before we go to it. One, you'll note a lot of this language of kind of higher and lower in this psalm. That God is seen as the highest good, the God above all gods, the idea above all ideas. As I uh, was read this morning, the subject of all of our prayers and all of our poetry is ultimately to the one, the name, God. And so you'll see a sense of that lifting up of God and everything else falling into its proper place as God is lifted up. The second thing you'll note is it ends on a real intense line, a <laughs> couple intense lines uh, about God and God's, uh, God's response to the generation in the wilderness who hardened their hearts. And uh, God actually says, I detested that generation. And I just want you to know detest is like, it's like a toddler spitting out food, all right? It doesn't mean that God hated them and he comes up to the food he spit out and I hate this food. He just, it was not able to be in his mouth. It was unpalatable. Puh, he spit it out. Or literally the word detest um, in Hebrew is to break or to snap. So picture a dead branch, no life on it, nothing there. It's just wasting space and life kind of trying to go to it, but no fruit will come. That you go and to detest the branches, to snap it off. And I think as we head into this new season together, there's a word for us there as well. That God is after communities and people that are bearing good fruit. And that our hardness of heart can lead to a death inside of us. And when we become hardened inside, there is a breaking that happens between us and reality, between us and others, when hardness of heart takes over. And so it's a strong psalm, but sometimes we need strong psalms. There's probably a reason they've lasted 2,500 years. Uh, so we'll just receive it and pray it. I invite you to pray along with me. Come, let us sing to the Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with